This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. It's a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. And I am, as always, Andrew. Did, why did you... Like, wait, are you wearing a cape right now? Like, why, how did you dramatically enter this podcast? I just felt like it was... It's like episode 525. It's up. It's getting up there. I felt like I needed to change things. Okay, not because it's like the dramatic close of a trilogy... And you needed to like kick in the door and announce no, yourself. I feel, like, I feel like we're gonna read the Devil's Advocate sequel prequel to this, so maybe it's not the end. Oh, calling when your shots! Calling is, your shots before out? you swing. I think our, didn't it already come out? Maybe Let we are, of course, Google talking Suzanne about Collins. the Hunger Games by Suzanne Collins. This week we are talking about Mockingjay, the third book in the original trilogy, uh, originally published in 2010. Oh yeah, it came out in May. And Andrew is talking about a book book called what? The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. Great. The book received a virtual launch due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Well, I guess that's, was that, was that a Wikipedia quote that you're reading? That is a Wikipedia quote, yeah. I Mm -hmm. do recall from, and, and it's certainly in the other listings of these books, because of their hype and because of the marketing behind this franchise, there is copious reading to be done about the various launch events. Mm-hmm. Like the Wikipedia entry on Mockingjay gets oddly specific about the launch event for Mockingjay that involved a tarot card reader and <laughs> Suzanne Collins had a broken hand and read a book in an Appalachian accent because apparently that's what Katniss sounds like. Was there and- a Hunger Games novel or am I just thinking of like Man in a High Castle? It, it, it Was this one of those properties that like dressed up Brooklyn train cars with like fascist propaganda as promo for like one of its books or movies. We talked last episode about the copious, it became a bigger thing with the movies where they, where they like did a whole like fashion spread in a magazine. And it was that thing where it's like, you're selling the product, the story's critiquing as part of your attempt to sell the movie. Right, 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 right. Um, and there was some of that with this in the run-up to... So Mockingjay got the uh, 2000s, 2010s, there's three books but four movies deal. Yes. Um, or there's there are N books and there are N, N plus, plus one, one movies. <laughs> Correct. Because yes. the Harry Potter movies did that too. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> um, and uh, I was reading about the marketing for the Mockingjay films and they approached it as a marketing campaign for one four hour movie like that just came out twice essentially (laughs) which is wild um and they they did some of the usual nonsense and they did some really you know goofy mid 2010s like 
uh, online shenanigans. Like Panem had a website and an yeah. Instagram. Scan Appar- a QR code. Am I right? Like apparently the Capitals Instagram page put up the movie poster and then had to take it down and said, "Whoops, we didn't mean to put that up." Man, that that bugs me so bad. Pokemon Go the other day emailed me some promo email from that that purported to be from Team Rocket, the bad guys in the uh-huh. Pokemon universe. And then they emailed me after being like, hey, we that wasn't for you. We're sorry. We miss we miss sent it. Um yeah, so I, I don't love when ads are like, wait, don't pay attention to that ad. I didn't mean that one. Sure, sure. And it becomes part of the thing. And all of this kind of kind of meandering conversation is to say that there's not a whole lot to talk about with respect to this book's authorship and writing and release that we haven't already covered in the other two episodes. Yes. Um, Suzanne Collins has said, and and we talked about this already, um, like her dad was a Vietnam war vet. So the books very, you know, very extensively dive into the, the war is hell theme. Yep. Um, She had the idea for the original when uh, viewing reality TV juxtaposed with the Iraq war. So just a, like we we here in America are leaving are, are living comfortable and uh, superficial lives while the people get blown up on the other side of the world and it's and those two things we can hold in our head at the same time somehow. Yep. Um, and yeah, that's that's pretty much the deal. Like she just she, she said she always planned to write a trilogy, and so this is the third book. There's not a very interesting like journey to this book except that the second one didn't end the story yet and so there had to be another one after yeah i'm trying to remember from the first book if it really had a a super strong cliffhanger or if it was just like that's the hunger games there could be more of them it ended with um the Capital being really mad at Katniss about the yeah. stone she pulled, and okay. so leaving. And the I'll I mean I'll give you that the second does the much the much more common thing that second books and trilogies do, where it does not stand as well on its own, no, as a discrete book, yeah. which is true of trilogies going all the way back to like the Two Towers, I think. Um, Lord of the Rings being the trilogy and Two Towers being the second book, but um, well, everybody yeah, wants to do their Empire Strikes Back. And if you look at that, it like that's a good movie, but like structurally, it necessitates another one, which yes, you might right. consider a flaw of a movie, mm-hmm. as being or a, con- a, a benefit of a movie, depending on which side of the money making chain that you're on. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good point. Um, anyway, this is the third one, and yes. we read it. That's the story. Boy, um, we, that feel that was a good way to fill seven minutes. I feel well, good about how that me- conversation went. <laughs> Let me, we do, we are scheduled to take a break in a little bit, but let me just do like a quick, like 10,000 foot view as the Mockingjay flies of what happened in the first two books. Do you, you tell me if I missed anything. Book one, the nation, the nation of Panem uses its annual kid killing reality show to keep 12 districts in line. And what happened to district 13? Uh, Our hero Katniss Everdeen volunteers as tribute with the bread boy PETA. Uh, the games are an epic version of Murder Survivor. Uh, Peta and Katniss 
survive the games. Some people have to die. Most of them do. And they survive due to the reality show machinations that make them a quote-unquote romance. They are the first ever pair to win, and it makes people mad and inspired. Book two, <laughs> there's growing unrest in the 12 districts. Again, this is all, Panem used to be America. The book is like dancing up against that the whole time. Mm-hmm. Eh. And Panem um, means bread, and it comes from the bread, bread and circuses, circuses Roman Empire. Which, like, thing. is laid explicit in this book in it a really is, clumsy yeah, explicitly way. Explicitly said. <laughs> anyway, mm-hmm. uh, book two there's growing unrest around Panem, perhaps because they saw Katniss, quote unquote, defeat the Hunger Games. Um, the Capitol uses a thing called the Quarter Quell, which is a special Hunger Games every 25 games. Uh, and this time they're going to kill a bunch of people who've already won the Hunger Games. Seems like a good way to control people's mood. Mm-hmm. Um, they're using Katniss as a form of control. They're trotting her out to do stuff. People are starting to rebel. Katniss makes a plan with her mentor, Hamish, who's drunk all the time. He is a survivor of the Hunger Games and has, you know, troubles because of it. Um, they should have called it. They should have called it Hunger Games Second Helping. Quarter Quell's a stupid name. Mmm, mmm, and just desserts would have been a good name for this book. <laughs> uh, Hamish and Katniss are going to try to keep Peta alive, uh, but of course, there's a secret plan among all the players to cause a revolution, and no one told Katniss. Uh, and they do break out of the arena. It's a fun arena with a big clock uh, that makes it dangerous. And then, yeah. and as we, as we talked about in the second episode, I think the the and this continues in this book. This is, this is I don't know if it's a critique or just an observation that I have, but Suzanne Collins's writing is at its most interesting when she is describing the extremely um, like labyrinthine yeah. traps that she's come up with to torture and kill her characters. Truth, truth, mm-hmm. which made the first part of that second book. A real rough go because it was not as interesting. Anyway, um, and then it ends with a big dump of what the real reality is where they wake Katniss up after she got injured in the second Hunger Games. And they're like, listen, we planned this whole thing. We didn't tell you. And now the Capitol has PETA. And see you next time. Yeah, it's very. it's an attempt to have for Suzanne Collins to have her cake and because she is hungry to eat it as well <laughs> because the <laughs> because you still you get to do like the fake out oh it was i was doing something different the whole time while still simultaneously just um like making up a contrived reason to have the second book be the hunger games again even though the hunger games are supposed to be like a once in a lifetime thing for these people yeah 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 um and it sets up it sets up one thing um, for what comes in the third book is that like even among the quote-unquote revolutionaries because they kept her in the dark Katniss doesn't know who to trust she doesn't feel good about that relationship um, and for me I really liked how the first book constrained us to Katniss's POV because uh-huh. I th- it it helped us learn the world in an interesting way in these latter two books I have found that to be a limitation of the series as Collins gets like more interested in other stuff and Katniss can't be witness to all of it. She just uh-huh. literally can't be there or else the book doesn't work as written. And I want other stuff. That's just, yeah. My... And, and the other, the other thing is that, and I'm, I'm conflicted about this and, and I'm interested to, to hear what you think, but I don't actually find Katniss's head a very, yeah, 
entertaining or interesting place to be. Now, I, I will say that I think that Collins does a pretty good job of trying to represent like trauma and what going through the events of these books would actually do to somebody. But I don't know, like as a fictional character, as a, as a fictional hero of a series, it is kind of boring to just watch your hero get endlessly like dragged or forced by a circumstance into the traditional hero's role. Like I'm, I'm trying to think if there's a, like there are definitely other fictional works that have covered trauma that have made their protagonists more interesting than this. I think that the problem with Katniss and we talked about this in the first episode is that by the book's own admission, she's been very survival focused her entire life. And so has not had a lot of time to develop external interests or a lot of like personality. And I think by the time you get to this third book, that is really, that's really dragging it down because Katniss's perspective is generally to agree with whoever she talked to <laughs> last, which is not, I don't know. It just, it, it doesn't, As she, when I think about these books, I don't really think about, Oh, the, the memorable perspective of Katniss Everdeen. Like it, it's just not, her you remember voice the things is underdeveloped, happens, but yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it's a thing that the book addresses in world when, uh, she reckon in the previous book she talks a lot about how she's like oh wow Peta has this great way with words and like people respond to him and he's he is a showman and he's not like di- he's not dishonest as a showman but he he just knows how to communicate to people he has natural charisma and she by her own admission does not have that and Collins honors that by making her like internal monologue like pretty just straightforward and yeah. it it just is less interesting for me personally than some of the external stuff going on in the plot and in the world. Well, and so so what I, what I think would fix it. So Collins is clearly aware that there are different ways to think about the atrocities of war and how you, um, how you take power from people and give it to other people. Um, And those are, those are represented in sort of the soft power approach of PETA and the let's meet atrocity with atrocity because they have brought it upon themselves of Gale. Yeah, sure. And I think the I think the book is I I think it is possible that I don't know if Collins like architected this thing with like a love <laughs> triangle in mind or if she was kind of forced into it by the twilight of it all, but I feel like if you if you remove the love triangle and make it a love straight line and have Katniss and whatever Boyd survives be the two like opposing viewpoints and have them actually like, be have, in conflict have, over. Yeah. The, yeah. yeah. Sure. And to like have discussions and maybe sometimes one of them is right. But sometimes the other one is right. But then at the end, like you can have one of them be writer and that can be your books what? like take. Is this... And this book kind of resists. It resists having a take being a take on anything. Yeah. Know? Yeah. I wonder, did we have the same issues with Bella? I feel like we did. Like we Bella were... was just like nothing, and I, but but the stakes were lower. Yeah, sure. Well, I like, mean, oh, here... all vampire history weighed on a couple of her decisions, Andrew. But yes, I I know what you mean. Moment. Well, to moment. and the and the stakes were were 
it's good that they are lower because if they're higher up, it'd probably be right around their hearts and vampires don't like that. Wow. <laughs> but yeah, Twilight was like, it's I the the it literally one of the Japanese titles of one of the books is like <laughs> the boy who I love is a vampire. Like that's the whole thing. And this is like the country that I love is a dystopia. <laughs> <laughs> And it's just it's bigger, and so it feels like it should have something bigger to say. Sure. I guess. Yeah, you know? I have a I have some stuff bookmarked for that when we get to the end of our discussion because I do I came away with an interesting thing to think about. I think this text, like the the Hunger Games as a text, lets is a bit of a Rorschach test. Mm-hmm. Um, you can bring some stuff to it that it doesn't dissuade you of. Um, which may explain its popularity, to be perfectly honest. Uh, and I want to make sure we cover that after we've covered what happens in the book. Uh, let's take a quick break, Andrew, and then we'll discuss Mockingjay. Okay. Hey, Andrew, I want to tell you about a podcast that I think you'll like. Okay. It's called The Chronicles of Now. Not the past, not the future now that's my favorite time yeah live for the present the chronicles of mm-hmm. now commissions amazing authors like roxanne gay kula mccann carmen machado and more to write short fiction inspired by the headlines the news of today uh, and each episode features a new work of fiction inspired by the biggest stories of our time like what does covid 19 do to our relationships and how do we make sense of climate change and extinction i actually went and listened to the roxanne gay episode on like life with your partner in quarantine it's an interesting short story but they also have interviews with her talking about the story and relating it to the news which is really cool Um, it's great for fans of short speculative fiction historical novels podcasts that go behind the news and narrative shows like radiolab and the moth the chronicles of now is imaginative storytelling and it's most compelling authors helping us understand our world you can subscribe in apple podcasts or wherever you listen brought to you by pushkin industries again that is the chronicles of now all right andrew let's set the stage here for mocking jay okay. it feels like we have some big opinions about the series as a whole that we want to come back to but i don't yes. want to shortchange any of our listeners who have read these books and been like i can't wait until they talk about this part and assuredly <laughs> we will not talk about that part we'll talk about something else instead that's just how it goes and then we'll get the tweets yeah. oh always the tweets <laughs> um did you, so you said you had you had dug up a, a listener email about this book specifically. Do you want to start there? Do you want to bring that in later? Like, where would you like to begin? It might here? be helpful for some folks who have maybe read one or two Hunger Games stories. That's a weird sentence, but haven't finished the trilogy. Um, Rebecca wrote in in advance of the recording, so you can check out our social feeds. We try to promote what we're what we're going to read, and Rebecca took advantage of it. It'd be weird if she wrote it after the recording, though. Well, she wanted to make sure she got it in. Um, okay. She said, before I read Mockingjay, I'd been warned by friends that it was quote-unquote boring, quote-unquote too political, and that the resolution of the Katniss Peter Gale love triangle was quote-unquote disappointing. I conversely found Mockingjay to be the most compelling book of the trilogy, and it being spring of 2013, I guess when she read it, 
my reaction was, God, Collins not only anticipated the Arab Spring, but offers wry commentary on the historical hypocrisy of revolutions that condemn violence and tyranny only to impose a stricter form of it. Uh, and she goes on to kind of back that up and talk about um, some of the individual character depictions, uh, putting it in context different from like Game of Thrones where that series really revels in just like casually offing major characters. Right. I think Collins does that, but isn't doing it for the same reasons as Martin does. Um, but anyway, just to, she is really just saying like the political implications of the book for her, make it the most interesting of the trilogy. Um, yet she was kind of warned coming in that it was like not as successful or interesting as the other books. Yeah, I mean, I think that if you are coming into it for the love triangle, yeah, you're probably going to leave sort of disappointed because the this book really just like pulls the triangle apart. Like you can't have a love triangle if none of the three people are trying very hard to participate in it. <laughs> <laughs> which is which is how I think this book is. That the the political element of that is is interesting because we we talked about this book not having a strong point of view, but that doesn't mean that it, it is not accurate in its description yes. of war and of like regime change and of how that often like plays out. Yes. Um I I'm when I was taking notes, I was thinking about the Iraq war mostly, but just pretty much any theater in the unending war on terror, I think it could be read into well, this. And the, and the Arab Spring um, was happening, at, you know, 2013 and 2014. So, or a little bit before that, I guess. A little but, bit before. I yeah. feel like 2011, 2012 yes. was. So after this first, book came out, yeah. um, and was was hap you know had been happening for several years when this movie came out. Um, other you know revolutions or public protests that were happening when the film, the first Mockingjay film, came out um, are like in Thailand. We've talked about Hong Kong. There were people doing the Mockingjay salute in Catalan. Um, someone at the Ferguson protests after the killing of Michael Brown in Missouri. Um, had spray painted the line uh the if if we burn you burn with us um wasn't occupy wall street in here somewhere too like it's it's a little bit different been, as a protest that, that yeah that would have been right around when the yeah right when this book came out so yeah there's um but like it also after but still there were there i found a bunch of articles and i'll try to tweet out ones that are appropriate i think um talking about how this series uh, has really been latched onto by, you know, people of both sides, especially in America, of like both sides of the political spectrum, where like Tea Partiers were excited to see a story where like average people were rising up against cultural elites, and folks on the left are seeing it as like a ninety nine percent rising up against, you know, wealthy elites. Okay, and the book is just doesn't map cleanly to that because as we've talked about in the previous episodes, like the structure of Panem is so like people are geographically immobile. They can't move between districts. It's put in, you know, that is put on them through like literal hostile pe like quote unquote peacekeeping forces. 
Um, there is the kind of like cultural hegemony of the Hunger Games that happen in fiction that like try to you know both co-opt any sort of revolutionary spirit you might have and turn it into like district level nationalism I guess and mm-hmm. remind you that you have no power against the capital. Well, and it's it's some it's more successful in some districts than in others. Yeah, like in sure. this in this book district 2 is the one that is like it houses a lot of the capitals like military and is is like they are not capital citizens and there are still oppressed people here but it is they have it better than most of the other districts yes. so it's yeah. But that's so this makes me think of Hamilton a little bit. Whoa! In that it's well, it, specifically what you said about the the politics of it. This is like political ish. It is just yes, political yes. enough that you know it's political, <laughs> but it's not so political that both the right and the left cannot read into it what they want to read into yeah, it. And, yeah. and I bring Hamilton up because it just came out on came out on Disney Plus. But isn't there a quote from Obama or somebody saying that like? enjoying Hamilton is the only thing that like he and Dick Cheney or somebody yeah well agree on like it is yeah you, you can bring you can bring your viewpoints to that and then have it have them validated and Hamilton is because a, it is just vague enough Hamilton yeah. is interesting too because and we can move back to the books I don't want to spend a whole podcast talking about Hamilton but no yeah um the 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 plot and the text of Hamilton really I think appeals to fans of bootstrap narratives and like how you build a country and the a little bit more right leaning in American politics and the meta part of the show where all of these original white characters and figures of history are played by people of color who have been marginalized in the art form that they're participating in Mm -hmm. as well as the society that they live in like that is a bit more radical and so you can yeah there's a whole bunch of like it makes it it makes for like multifaceted viewing in a way that i think yeah the comparison to hunger games is really good in that way because hunger games does not really get explicit it's mostly people did bad things and now they're in charge. And now people want to take them down. But like Katniss doesn't have politics. As you said earlier, she just wants to survive. And she's motivated by like personal injustice, which should not be discounted, but is not systemic in any way. Yeah, and, and we can talk about the end of this book has the hu- a, a, a moment where her the extent to which she is motivated by personal injustice comes to the fore in a way that I I think is completely incongruous with everything we've been told about this character over the course of three books. But let's get it's into thirty minutes the in. Plot let's part. talk about what. Happens. So we we pick up um, after the end of book two, where cat an injured Katniss has been swept away off the battlefield by these rebels who live in district 13. If you do not remember from previous episodes, uh, district 13 had been allegedly bombed into the ground as part of the last big uprising. But in reality, um, there's a sort of mutually assured destruction thing where district 13 had the nukes and the Capitol had the nukes. And so they, agreed the cap like there there was a formal agreement like 13 will be allowed to keep living if they shut up 
And yep. Yep. And yeah. And, with, and the capital will leave them alone. Sort exchange. of an understanding yeah. on the capitals and probably that like 13 couldn't hang. Like they they would probably fall and like Yeah, like they are they are under resourced. Yeah. They, you know, they have they have power but they're not a big like manufacturing or farming district, but they do and and they are having problems with like genetic diversity. Like yeah. they, they are on a Bad they're trajectory. on a path toward <laughs> dying out. Yeah. yeah, but they do manage to hang in there and create a society through very rigorous discipline like we are we are told. And and Collins's world building continues to be impressive even when her like characters and, and yeah, narrative yeah. aren't always like she creates a society where every morning you wake up and you get your schedule like printed on the inside of your forearm you, you or something. You get a temporary tattoo of your schedule for the day. Yeah. And then like around six o'clock the ink breaks down and you can wash it off. But yeah. <clears throat> yeah, it it is an it's an interesting way to think about uh like resource allocation and how you make sure everybody is always working collectively yeah. for the good of the the whole society i, I guess am thinking about the first book and how katniss talks about life in district 12 which is the you know as she understands it the outermost district before 13 and and the poorest district and how everybody's kind of scraping by and that you know it is probably that scarcity is mostly imposed upon them by the capital and by yeah. the government mm-hmm. where and and it's a bad thing and here in district 13 things are rationed and you don't get more calories per day than your body needs and like that is spun as a form of collective good and Katniss in both instances like this sucks like I would love <laughs> to just go out and catch the animals that I can eat with my own hands please yeah can I get a bur- can I get a burger up in here <laughs> We we are also introduced to President Coin. Is that I'm I'm gonna say Coin. Coin. Cohen maybe, but probably Coin. I think Cohen has other connotations. Yeah, sure, I don't sure, know sure. If we want to get into Coin. That's a good point. President Coin. And then you know our I think our schema for Hunger Games names last time was like pick a Roman orator and then the flavor of lip balm you used last. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Coin is a suitably weird hunger games yes. for me i think yeah and she seems very intense and maybe doesn't have very many scruples is just trying to run this thing is like taking advantage of the sit of the unrest uh we kind of learned that every district except for district two is now at war with the capital um which sets up a long-term thing in the book for me of just like there's a lot of background revolution that happens yeah, right. While Katniss is kind of moping around thirteen. <laughs> well, and and the book puts specific obstacles in Katniss's way and specific setbacks that she has to experience. But the larger revolution seems to be going okay. Like, yeah, right. Sure, uh, people die and terrible things happen. And she it is a and war. She herself is needed to turn things around. In yeah, what is in that? everybody's yeah. estimation? But um, so yeah, what what ends up happening is the. So because she has been this prominent but almost accidental and definitely reluctant symbol of resistance to the the capital um the 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 guy from the capital who is who is running Plutarch. a lot of the show 
over in District 13 is yeah, Plutarch Heavensby, I think is yeah. his name. Yeah. And he was a he was like a game He's he was the DM for the Evil for the Shigeru Games. Miyamoto, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but he is, you know, th- we've talked about the Hunger Games as theater and the first book in particular as a sort of commentary on how reality TV works and like manipulates the emotions of of the target audience. So Plutarch has brought that to a real revolution. And that means that he is in charge of propaganda. Basically they call them propos, but they're, they're, (laughs) they're making uh, videos and, and other, other things to show people around the districts and also show people in the Capitol to like undermine their control and to inspire people to rebel. Yes. Um, And so Katniss is, is convinced to do this. She does have conditions, um, which we can get into because we haven't talked about PETA yet. Um, do you want oh, yeah, to yeah, talk yeah. about what has happened? So they to want PETA? that's they, that's the other like path from the second book that we yeah, need to go down a bit. They want her to be the Mockingjay to do their propos for them, which my notes kept autocorrecting to promos, which again they're just wrestling promos that they need her to cut. Um, <laughs> And before, I think it's right before she formally accepts the the position with her terms, there is a a uh, like a transmission from the Capitol where a very healthy looking captive PETA is talking to Caesar Flickman. I think is his name. Yeah, um, Stanley Tucci. Stanley Tucci. <laughs> and is like or Paul Giamatti no it's definitely oh my god um and <laughs> Peta is like hey you know the games weren't so bad capital's okay you know Katniss well he's not even he's, saying the games weren't so bad he's just he's like he's trying to he is just saying you know both both sides are at fault yes and he is trying to absolve Katniss of the things that she's done which I think is a way to you know probably at the Capitol's behest, he is trying to um, neuter her like revolutionary appeal as well as, you know, redirect any energy that people might have for like affection for her and be like, you know what? It's, she was just a crazy, we were all crazy kids in the Hunger Games. Yeah, right. And we're all just like, she doesn't understand what's going on. She doesn't understand she's being used by the, by the rebels and, they're really. I just wish both sides would agree to a ceasefire, She's so nobody for a else. Ceasefire. Nobody else has to die. And and Katniss or Gale or somebody correctly surmises, you know, if there if there is a ceasefire now, that just goes back to the status quo. So correct. Like, Peta is working, whether willingly or not, working on on the behalf of the capital at this point. And um, so she agrees to do it. She agrees to be the Mockingjay and to to. To assume kayfabe for <laughs> correct propos, um, and she will. She wants any tributes from previous Hunger Games to be granted immunity, and this is specifically for people who were captured by the Capitol um, that are going to hopefully come back, including Peta, um, that they will not be punished or put on trial or anything. Um, she has like some lower level stuff about like getting a cat for her sister and going hunting with Gail uh, instead of going to wherever she's supposed to be. Right, and but then the last one, like I kill President Snow. I get to kill Snow. It's which, me. Did they, 
Did they flip for it? Like, I think they flip a coin and coins like, yeah, okay. Do they? I don't I, remember that. I think you might be thinking that because her name is Coin. It's possible. <laughs> um, they are going to keep the kayfabe of Gale as her cousin uh, for whatever reason, because, of course, the romance between her and Peta is legendary at this point. And so she assumes the role of, of Mockingjay. We get like a little montage of her like getting a cool outfit from Cinna. Who I get, he died, right? He died. Yeah, he yeah. definitely died. But he was in on this whole plan, and he designed her a great outfit. Yes. before he before he went. Um, BT from the last book has designed a sick bow you say for her. BT like BT the extra terrestrial. <laughs> <laughs> I I said it BT BT. Oh, all right, all whatever. Kind of a one. I just I thought we it was agree BT. on one or does it? BT just sounds like a Star Wars droid. That he is functionally a Star Wars droid in this story. That's true. Whatever you call him, what you want. Beatty, Beatty, um, BT with his beady eyes, uh, does some like foreshadowing through gadgets where he makes Katniss this bow that she can quote unquote turn off with her voice. I, it's unclear to me what technology is happening. There is technology that gives her like sick explosive arrows and stuff that does come back later. That's just Zelda technology. <laughs> Well, and it does the thing that like a Bond movie does where it's like or an episode of Alias does where it's like here's your here's Are you your You watching Alias? This I watched the first season the of Alias. Alias. We haven't had a chance to talk about it on the show. Anyway, um <laughs> that that show's fine, whatever. Um and you like, oh, here are the tools. And the, the previous books do this as well. Collins is interested in this where it's like, let me show you a couple things in the inventory list. And then they will come up later in the narrative in a way right. that, you know, it'll be important. Like Chekhov's et cetera. Yeah. Um, and so her first, they, they attempt to make her the Mockingjay with, a, with an initial propo where she's like, she gives this terrible monologue and she has this horrible slogan that's like, people of Panem, we fight, we dare, we end our hunger for justice. And it goes so poorly that Hamish is like, well, that's how a revolution dies. And this gets to what we were saying earlier, Andrew. They spend like a few pages where Hamish is like, why do people like Katniss? <laughs> like, he's like actually trying to solve the problem of her being a, a non-charismatic revolutionary icon. And I think what his answer is that like she did a bunch of cool stuff that inspired people. Yeah, and I even highlighted a quote about this later from Peta, where he says, "I think you still have no idea the effect you can have." He slides his cuffs up to the support and pushes himself to a sitting position. None of the people we lost were idiots. They knew what they were doing. They followed you because they believed you really could kill Snow. It is it is a case of showing not telling a lot. Yeah, where we're supposed yeah. to believe that Katniss is inspirational because she does off the cuff stuff without thinking about it. That happens to be inspirational where in PETA, we get a character who is thoughtfully and like premeditated in his, in his rebelliousness. Well, it's because Katniss is not really super interested in like listening to people, which is a key component in telling people what they want to hear also. (laughs) 
Uh-huh. Like, she's just uninterested. When when she has to train to join the military officially later in the book, she goes through like an X Men danger. It's a very room. like Rocky Four montage Mon- yeah. where she's like running up a mountain and <laughs> <laughs> punching meat and stuff. And the final exam is like you have to do a thing that is one of your biggest weaknesses. And the biggest weakness is that she doesn't listen to orders. So she right, yeah, like to everybody else's test seems to center on like probing them trauma. for the trauma that they have experienced. Where Katniss is like, it, it's the version of that that test where the the top of the test says read all the directions before. Oh like yeah, read the, read the whole test before starting on the test, and then at the bottom of the test, it's like. Just hand it in blank. Yes. Because you're good at reading directions. Stupid. <laughs> it's that. Um, and so they decide that, okay, well, we can't let Katniss do monologues because she's bad at it. So we need to put her out in the field. Let's just like, go get some B roll. Let's go get some B roll. So where do they go first, Andrew? They go to District Eight, where yeah. there's a hospital for the wounded that's been set up. Yes. And we, this is like a. I've seen this scene in a lot of fiction where it's like the hero wanders through the injured and they're all like, oh, my God, the hero's here. Uh-huh. Um, but that doesn't go well, though. No. What happens? <laughs> um, the Capitol shows up and bombs the hospital into the ground. Yeah. It does not seem like they were doing it to kill Katniss. It seems like they were going to do it anyway. No, they they didn't know Katniss was was there. They were just doing it to like strike fear into the hearts of the of the rebels and they do it there's some mention made of the of the capital trying to be judicious in what it blows up because in a scenario where the capital wins, they are going to need all this infrastructure and stuff still. Yes. But this building full of injured people, like what good are injured slaves? They, yeah, it's pretty bad. So it's fine to kill them. But in, in doing this, they get a lot of good footage of Katniss being heroic. And that starts to turn the tide of the war. Um, We need to follow Peta's thread a little bit more. I think it's around, this point where we see another like counter propaganda video with PETA in it, where he's looking much less well and is being, is he being interviewed directly by snow at this point? No, he's still being interviewed by Flickman. So we, this happens. There is, um, so she cuts a sick wrestling promo at the hospital bombing where she comes up with the, if you burn, (laughs) you burn with us slogan. And we get like, what is what is now the Lincoln Project, but we get like viral political advertising <laughs> of her with like some cool Adobe Premiere effects before she starts speaking. It is not from it is not from people who totally agree with Katniss, but they are the never snowers. <laughs> Jesus who Christ. cut these ads. Um and then uh they they come up with some other ideas for this propo stuff. And then there, yes, there's an interview with Peta where he does look way worse. And there's this whole drama about the fact that she sees it when she's hanging out with her buddy Finnick, who's the hot dude from book two, who's like having uh, a lot of like PTSD issues. And yeah, the, the, the trauma they're going through is similar in that they've both, you know, they've both been in the Hunger Games and survived twice. And they both have loved ones who are being held by the yes. capital. Yes. And, that, and so that gives the capital 
a level of like direct power over them that they have to like think about and fight against literally all the time. And so the two of them catch this like horrible PETA video where it's clear that like the previous one was probably filmed months ago or something. And this one he's being tortured and he's not in a great state of mind. And then like no one talks to her about it and she's really pissed. Yeah. Cause she knows that they're all trying to, they're all trying to, I don't know. They're all walking on eggshells about PETA around her because they know how talk of him can like set her off and they need her, you know, stable and productive basically for the, the war effort. Yes. Um, they cut another, this gets, this gets us into some rabbit hole with her and Gail where the book is just like continually pushing her and Gail apart. So it doesn't have to deal with the fact that they are (laughs) clearly a better match for each other than Katniss (laughs) and Peter are. Yeah. Well, you know, they go to District 12 and cut a promo there where she sings like a folk song about meeting at the hanging tree, which is a th- mm. I, it's so it, like I am not interested in the hanging tree song stuff. I don't think it's in Collins's wheelhouse in terms of what she's comfortable with. Also, yeah, it's like a lot of times. And it's and I hate. I don't even know if I want to say hate. I find it very uh, ineffective to read made up songs in a book that have like no melody that I'm familiar with, because what am I supposed to do with that? Yeah. Like by the time you read through Lord of the Rings, your second or third time, you know that a long, like a long passage of all italics is something you can probably skip. Hey, (laughs) because immediately after the song, some character will like sum it up in two lines (laughs) and then you can move on with the book. Um, so I don't remember how we get to there's yet another PETA broadcast where she so is, this is a this is it's a night where BD has decided okay I'm I'm going to hijack the Capitals like video feed however gonna, this works and we're gonna air some of these proper we're gonna we're gonna open a socket to the trunk line and we're gonna air some <laughs> of these propos that we've been working on. Like right when everybody in the country is watching President Snow's like special address or something, yeah, fireside chat or whatever it is, and yeah, so so Snow is talking to Peta, and it's clear that they're trying to get to Katniss again and like get the rebels to stop, and then the uh, BD successfully manages to air some of the propaganda that they've been working on, and there is like a fight over this video feed that takes place, but it ends with. Snow being very upset and like asking Peta like to say one last thing. I feel like yeah, is, is that right? Like there, he, there's he says Peta something is prompted. He, he basically gives a warning about they're like they're coming for you, right? Like he's he Snow asks if Peta has anything to say to Katniss and and Peta obviously agitated in in some way and possibly fighting against some. Uh, programming or or imperative that he's been given gives a a vague but just helpful enough warning to the people in 13 he says like oh dead by morning or something yes yes and they they immediately start like evacuating to to lower ground to get out of the reach of you know the the non-nuclear like conventional weapons that the capital would drop on on 13 to try and damage it Yes, this all hit very hard in our current quarantine life. Just that, like, all right, well, I guess we all 
go further down and hunker down and there's like pages devoted to Katniss coming up with playing a cat a game with her cat yeah, like cat and a laser pointer basically yeah and it's like wow we were and really then, popular and then, and then that it becomes you know this cat and a laser pointer really makes me think about <laughs> my sort of boyfriend who's being tortured and how he's being used he's being held just out of my reach to keep me maximally agitated Again, this i think this is what we were talking about when like katniss's pov is is often artless and 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 i think does a disservice to what is working in the book like she she just like the types of things that she will hang her mental hat on are odd and not very well crafted compared well, and, and not and not very like sympathy inducing either like when when i read katniss comparing her it's <laughs> sure fair it's comparing tortured sweet pita yeah who is objectively a better person than she is He's objectively by a better person own, than anyone in these books yeah by her own admission a better person than than she is and she's like man this you know when the when the laser is just off, when Peta is dead, the cat the cat can just move on with his life. Well, and so it's a limitation of the book by being in Katniss's head all the time that the book can't comment on this inability of Katniss to like think a little bit deeper. You know what I mean? Like if if we could be in Gail's head, if we could bop out to a to an omniscient narrator for a hot second, like. Collins could at least comment on Katniss comparing Peta to a cat with a laser pointer, but she's not, <laughs> she doesn't. And it, 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 I understand that this is like, it's YA fiction. It is supposed to, in some ways, it is like purposefully straightforward and blunt um, in a way that I think contributed to its popularity. But reading it now, right now as a 30 something dude in 2020, I'm just like, come on, Katniss. Sometimes why a fiction just makes me say, why a? Eh? <laughs> if there were a Hunger Games, I would volunteer you as tribute right now. <laughs> <laughs> That's not how it works. You can't volunteer somebody else. You can only volunteer yourself. This is where Katniss realizes that Snow wants Katniss to know that they are hurting Peta to hurt her. Like yes. she comes, yeah, she, she does she come realizes through this convoluted cat laser pointer metaphor <laughs> exactly the power and the mind games that Snow is playing. Yes, and because Thirteen needs her to be the Mockingjay, this is when they're like, you know, this is going to go super bad, but we will go in and get Peta now. Yes, and they don't let her go, which is like, so this all happens off screen, quote unquote. Um, which gives like, her there. There are a lot of Harry Potter comparisons I would make to this book. Like th this is in, in book seven of Harry Potter. You stay focused on Harry, Ron, and Hermione being lost in the woods for like hundreds oh, of yeah. pages, and then toward the end, another character comes out and says, "Wow, if you guys had just been at school this year, you would have seen so many cool <laughs> adventures." It's a little bit like that. It is, and then the way that Collins kills people. Yeah is also very much like that very last scene in, in Harry Potter where there's a big battle and then there are just like two pages where J.K. Rowling goes down a list of all your favorite characters who she decided to kill for no reason. Yeah, man. And it's just like, you clearly made me feel things about these people and then killed them just to make me sad, but not to fulfill any narrative 
purpose. Yeah, yeah. And that makes me mad. Well, so um, w- instead of showing us anything about this Peter rescue, we get one more like set of promos from Katniss where she just talks about Snow and Peter and she's fine. And then Finnick, this part was wild. Finnick details. I, I really want to. I want the Chronicles of Finnick. The Chronicles of Finnick. <laughs> this the the sequel to Pitch Black we always wanted. Um, <laughs> he details a sex trafficking operation by Snow and other capital elites using Hunger Games victors, where he would sell these like hot young violent people to other people in the capital. Um, and if you refused for like poli- it for political favors and, and, and for, to maintain power and stuff. yes yeah. and 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 to do it um he would threaten people that you cared about when at some point Katniss asks Hamish if this happened to him and Hamish is like nah they killed my family after I like messed up with the game so there was no one that they could use against me um and Phoenix's whole thing is like uh, I did well I was forced to participate in this and I made myself get paid in secrets. So he just like, you know, goes on camera with a burn book of a bunch of people's secrets that include things that like sure would be embarrassing to people in the capital vis-a-vis like, you know, kinky sex stuff and whatever. It's, I don't know. It's I found it both like compelling and like, would that actually work? When he gets to the part where he's like, yeah, and then Snow like poisoned someone to take power. I'm like, would anyone be surprised by that particular fact being revealed from someone in District 13? I don't know. It's one thing to suspect it or, or to have heard it through the grapevine and another thing to hear it from a... Uh, like a famous person yeah, with some sure. degree of like uh, of authority, but it, but it's another example of. And listen, maybe if we spent three books in Phoenix Head, he yeah. wouldn't seem very interesting either. But it's another <laughs> instance of a uh, a character outside of Katniss outstripping Katniss in terms of like motivation and complexity. Yes. I do. I do think that there's a there's a a, a version of this where the people in the Capitol would be so embarrassed to have their dirty laundry aired that they would, it would erode their trust in snow. Like, I do think that that is a little bit of what Phoenix up to. Um, and because the Capitol is, is a bunch of like, they're portrayed as these vain elites who keep up appearances and things like that. So like that, I I'm swayed by that. Um, but yeah, of course yeah, sure. we spend our time here instead of with the Peter rescue. Well, it happened and I guess some people happen. died, but they brought Peter back. How's it go, Andrew? Uh, not great. So Peter's been completely burned to the ground, <laughs> essentially. Um, you might remember if you think back to the first book, there are these like mutated wasps called tracker jackers. Yeah, sure. Um, that have this like hallucinatory or hallucinogen uh venom inside them. Yeah. And when you get stung. Not only is it super poisonous, but it also like really screws up your head. And so by giving by giving PETA a constant low dose of this venom and then like making him remember things about Katniss, it has completely warped his memories of of her to the point where he doesn't he doesn't know what is real which we can talk about because I think it's the most interesting yep. like thematic question that the book is is wrestling with. 
and he does literally want to kill her because he believes that she is like a, a mutation who is really dangerous. Yes. Uh, I do have a struck me funny that they call this being hijacked, which etymologically in the book is derived from tracker jackers, which are made up and is Katniss. It literally says that she has never heard the term hijack before. And it's, it's done in a way that like, I know that there's probably vocabulary in this world, this like post America apocalypse world where maybe people don't remember how certain things go. Hijack is not a word I expected to fall under that umbrella. Yeah, sure. And it I was, mean, if we're doing if, if <laughs> it's just weird how it landed to me. Sure. If if we're doing struck me funnies, mine is it's some the Katniss gets injured injured and, and put oh out of commission God. like 17 times in this yeah, book. <laughs> After one of them uh, I think it's Hey Mitch has come to her like bedside to talk about how they're doing like the the propos propos without her. <laughs> yeah, and he sa- Hey Mitch says to her, "We're officially in reruns." And my <laughs> comment, my comment on that was, "Meets back on the menu, boys," <laughs> because it's it suggests a world where like the DBS superstation survived into the apocalypse, <laughs> and that people know what like reruns are. <laughs> That's fascinating because one of the one of the things that I think does not stand up to strict scrutiny as this book in this series and and its meditation on reality television and you know critique of of how media functions is that Panem functions with like one television station and like that right. like yes let's talk about that let's talk about propaganda and how a government a state sponsored you know television station might be bad for society say um uh-huh. But I think the like bread and circuses metaphor of reality TV also involves a certain amount of choice, which the Hunger Games as a world kind of short circuits by it being this. And maybe life in the capital is different. Maybe they have like six channels. I don't know. But <laughs> it, it throughout the rest of the world, it is all state sponsored. And so it doesn't, for me, that type of like, the critique of our own culpability and propensity for seeking out distraction is a little bit weaker when it's not a world where like the choice of capitalist informed choices get made. Mm -hmm. um, If that makes sense. Sure. That I turned to struck me funny into a Craig thought, which I have in a couple times in my notes. That's another fun (laughs) segment that we kind of do without telling people that we're doing it. Um, okay, so let's, let's let's keep rolling. Pete has been hijacked. There's a planning session with with BD or BT and Gale, Andrew, which introduces another Chekhov device that we see later. Do you remember yeah, what I'm talking where, about? Where like BD and Gale, so Gale is a is the consummate hunter, and he knows how to think like his quarry. Basically, like he's very he's very uh, empathetic in the, in a, in a weird way that allows him to be more deadly. And so they are combining Gail's instinct and BD's technological expertise to create weapons that play on like human nature. So the, the example that is lingered on the most for reasons that we'll get into in a little bit is a, like a double bomb basically 
where you set off a bomb and then you wait for um, other allies or medics or, or somebody to come onto the, the field to take care of the wounded. And that's when you set off the second bomb. Yeah. And this this sets off a big like there there's this ongoing conflict between Gale and Katniss about basically the ends justifying the means. Yeah. And Katniss is horrified by this and Gale says, well, the capital has done worse to like multiple generations of people and they burned our home to the ground and they they deserve they deserve to get what is coming to them. Yeah, like what and are that's the... not really like we don't really know we don't really get a sense of which side of that Collins is on or like wants us to come down on. They're just presented as two different viewpoints and we kind of and, and every time Katniss and Gail an get into a room. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I'm just gonna say, every every time they get into a room and have a disagreement, they neither of them sticks around for long enough to dig into it. They <laughs> yeah. just have the disagreement and then bounce off each other, which means that we never dig into the because, depth of this yes. and have either then have either character try to change the other's because mind the about the love anything. triangle yeah. is so underdeveloped that they are not even it. These little debates that they have. When they crop up, it's the like few instances that these characters who are supposed to be in a love trial triangle interact. So I, as the reader, wind up going like, "Well, how is this going to contribute to this like storied romance I've heard about in these books?" And actually, it doesn't. And also, it doesn't advance either of their political goals. So like, what the <laughs> hell? Um, so yeah. So then they start trying to fix Peta. With a woman named Deli, who is essentially a human hug. Like, they just send this woman in to talk to Peter to make him feel yeah. better. Whack, wacky Deli, they call her. Wacky <laughs> Deli, yeah. Uh, and that goes fine, I get. Like, because they, they slowly f- fix Peter. He, see, he comes out of it with a kind of unvarnished view of Katniss that, you know how every <laughs> once in a while somebody just tells you one of your shortcomings that you secretly believe about yourself and it cuts you all the way to the quick. Yeah. Yeah. That's what PETA basically does to it. He calls her a real piece of work in a way that, you <laughs> know, like that is a direct quote. And in a way that Katniss hears as every flaw she's ever had. And I think that's what he meant. And it's very effective. It's um, only now that he's been corrupted that I can fully appreciate the real PETA, even more than I would have if he'd died. <laughs> My God. Okay. Uh, and, and so, like, it's it's fine. Like, it goes okay. Um, PETA, PETA gets kind of moved to the background for a few chapters. Um, yeah, because what, like, Katniss is... She she concludes at this point like Peta is lost to me. Yeah, I, I will never. This the love triangle is no more because there is this person who all experts say will never be the same again. He is not going to feel the way about me that he did. I do not have the luxury of stringing this boy along for infinity time like I did in the other two books. Uh, so I am going to go and I'm going to get I'm going to move on with with my life like the the laser pointer has been turned off the cat is allowed to continue living. Yeah. Um so Katniss joins the military goes out to district 2. Uh we we need to pick the up mil- the pace a little bit Yeah, so yeah the, the military thing stuff. happens later because that's a, that's about going to the capital. She goes to district 2 to do some more propo stuff. Um, oh right. And 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 so they uh, have to crack the nut, Andrew. They have to crack the nut. 
The nut is a mountain. The nut remains that... as untouchable as ever. Whole sac mm. whole sections of the nut collapse before our eyes. This is a mountain with some ca- you know, capital aligned resources in it. Um and yeah, it's, it's, their, it's their main military base, and it's where they keep launching all these air assaults from. Yes. And so there have been many efforts to take it and to occupy it. And Gail suggests, what if we just like blew it up and killed everybody in it? What if, what if it was better for it not to be operating than it would be for us to have it? Yeah. And, and it, it boils down to they do cause some avalanches. People start dying. Uh Katniss runs Hamish is like hey Katniss you got to get in there and like do a hot promo real quick so that people will like put down their guns she talks to a guy who probably is going to put down his gun and then someone else shoots her and we get another Katniss in the hospital sequence yeah Katniss wakes up and Um, she's injured and and she comes back and she's like okay me and my friend my new friend Joanna we're gonna like train to be in the military military now um Joanna doesn't make it she does not pass her exam because there is an actual trial that is given to her yes, instead correct. of Katniss's like, please color inside the lines <laughs> test. Uh, Finnick, they did rescue Annie also. So Finnick gets married to Annie. It's like a cool, like, you know, happy propo that they put out there. People dance, whatever. And then we get to the mission to the Capitol where... Uh, Gale is there, Finnick is there, Katniss is there, some other people who quickly die are there. Um, yeah. there's like at, some... th- at this point, they have they have won all the districts over, including yes. two. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of a, it's not quite a siege because you get the impression that the capital is, is well set up enough to survive for a while but it is kind of they're just kind of trying to slowly tighten the noose and end the end the war and structurally this is what the hunger games were to the previous novels like the capital is outfitted with these things called pods which are just traps in the street that you could set off sometimes the (laughs) the book kind of clumsily sets up the Hunter Gear Games analog by having several characters say, wow, this really bears a striking resemblance <laughs> to the Hunger Games. Um, but yeah, it's this, this, th- and this whole capital section puts me very much in the mindset of, uh, of Iraq because these pods are very clearly analogous to like IUDs. And IUDs stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think IUDs or something else. Yep, you got to drop me a, a time code on that because I said IUDs instead of IEDs. I don't know if I want to drop you a time code on that. I think that people need to hear this IUD IED debate. Here it's not a debate. I it. just made a mistake. <laughs> it's not a debate. I just made a mistake. It but happens. It's, it's endearing. It's it is endearing. We we get like so. Who's in the squad? This is called the Star Squad, and this is another <laughs> <It's> Alexandria <laughs> Ocasio Cortez. It's another like oh, we're gonna send you into this war zone, but we're not gonna actually make you do a lot of fighting. You're not gonna be on the front lines. You're just gonna Finnick, look pretty for the camera. Finnick gets the chance lance from the adventure zone for some reason, where he can like throw it and bring it back to him. He never I mean, uses 20, it. This is twenty ten. And I think the Chance Lance is Phoenix Magic yeah, fair Boomerang. Enough. Fair enough. Trident. Um, and <laughs> um, they do finally hit a pod where like one of the members is incapacitated, so they fly in PETA. And this sets off a whole thing where Katniss is like, did President Coin put PETA in our squad so that PETA would kill me? And everyone's like, maybe. 
I can't think of another reason because clearly he's unstable. There's a dude named Boggs who like we met once or twice and now becomes a very important character for like a chapter before he dies. He was there. This was built. He was built into an important character like subtly in a way that I actually think did work. And I was sad when he died. Oh, oh, tell he's, me more. He's kind of he's kind of fatherly to Katniss. And, and he is he's one of the few characters who Katniss becomes a Katniss can see herself through his eyes. And this is not something Katniss is great. Oh, at. sure. OK, so that that made Boggs stick in my stick in my head a little bit. But his legs get blown off and he dies. And he gives Katniss his like Google Maps. hologram map of Hol- where all the pods yeah. are. And she. <sighs> so Boggs agrees basically with Katniss that President Coyne wants Katniss dead because the war is going to end at some point. Katniss has not been publicly very supportive of Coyne. If Coyne is going to be the new president, she wants any, say, prominent propaganda figures who might like disagree with her. She wants them disappeared. She's more valuable as a martyr than she is as an actual political figure. Katniss. Yeah, and so, and so this sets off the last... Woof, the last third of the book where Katniss says she basically lies to the rest of the squad. Like Boggs gives her this hologram map because he knows that she can't really trust anyone. He knows that she wants to kill Snow. So here's what you need to do it. And so Katniss makes up this lie and is backed up by some other people who just kind of who are not in on it, but pick up what she's putting down. Yeah. She's like, I'm actually on a secret mission from president coin to go assassinate president snow. (laughs) And even though PETA is still damaged goods and he kind of freaks out when some of these pods start going off, they like make their way into some sewers and get chased by these mutation things and a whole bunch of people including finnick die like very just quickly just because yeah. yeah not and not in a way that like really reveals character like i think when finnick dies instead of finnick doing something cool and us like or or noble or, or something like that like instead we get katniss like imagining finnick's life which is i guess a little bit of growth for her to like think about other people I guess I think it's also maybe an admission that you need another person's head in this book. Yeah, I really think if the only thing you can do to like to to make this dude's death poignant is to make his life flash before another character's (laughs) eyes, which is not typically how it works in fiction. Um, And she like shoots a note like a a capital person in the street because she's just like, we got to keep going. They meet a tiger lady named Tigress who's a legit cat lady. Like, it's not that she has a bunch of cats. She's a legit cat lady. She's a cat lady. Um, I think she has a neighbor named Euphrates. (laughs) Probably. Mm. Probably. Um, and, And Katniss, like, admits while they're hiding out in Tigress's store that there's no secret mission and uh everyone's like duh <laughs> well everyone being like the four people yes. who are still alive which is gail Peta, um the person who's been like filming uh, all these promos pollux maybe well and then the the avox like the yeah. the person whose tongue has been cut yeah. out yeah um, um, we get a scene that actually reminded me of Twilight, and I literally don't know which one of these came first, where Katniss is pretending to be asleep, and she overhears Gale and Peta talking about her. 
it's very reminiscent of a scene in the last Twilight book where Bella's in a tent, like listening to the two boys talk about protecting yeah. her in the coming fight. All of Twilight had come out by okay, okay. mid-2008. Okay. So regardless of which book it, it happened in. And it doesn't yes. feel like a ripoff. It just feels like it, a, a natural trope moment to occur given the character relationships that Collins has tried to put in this book. Where mm-hmm. like finally there is a scene where the two boys are like, I don't know what her deal is. She's going to pick one of us for some reason <laughs> later. There's a, there's an element of that. And there's also a classic element of like bros before hoes. <laughs> it's a real mess of a moment. And I, I, if, I think Collins is trying to make it a mess. And, and I think she's successful with it. Um, and it boils down to this big climactic scene where because stuff is bad in the capital, there's this like, hey, you got to take in people whose houses are messed up. You got to yada, yada, yada. Um, and all of these refugees start like converging on the Capitol mansion. And that's where stuff really gets bad. It's already been a slog, Andrew, but now it gets like bad. It gets really, so Katniss has survived many pods, many terrors, many sort of the Hunger Games traps removed from the context of the Hunger Games just because Suzanne Collins revels in torturing her characters. Um, and so the last, the, the final torment is for whatever reason outside the mansion, I think she assumes like to protect the mansion from the rebels who are closing in. Um, there is just this like pen of, of capital children. Yes. Yes, that, um, that is the, a, she does say it's like a it's a human shield. Yeah, a uh, a capital plane flies overhead and drops Hunger Games like like parachute items like with in in the Hunger Games. These parachutes mean supplies. They mean like good things. And the capital is using this context against these kids and yep. killing them. Yep, because they're bombs some actually. To like, yeah, because they're bombs actually to draw the rebels in, and then the bombs go off again when the medics have come in to help these kids. Medics, including, bum bum bum, Primrose, Katniss's, Katniss's little sister. Yeah, yeah. and Katniss who in this book, who in this book has been characterized and described as the best member of the family, just enough to really twist the knife. <laughs> yep, when. Suzanne Collins like sets her on fire for no reason. Yeah, it's a bummer. I mean, I say for, I say for no reason. the 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 reason is to completely destroy Katniss and to justify the out of character actions that she takes. Yeah. Next. So we get one. We get yet another Katniss hospital sequence because she was caught on fire. There's a couple pages dedicated to how she became the Mockingjay for real with the fire on her actual body. And then she comes to, she's in the mansion. Um, She briefly encounters President Snow in a room full of roses. And he's basically like, yo, that was a sick plan from your rebel president to bomb all those kids, huh? He's he's basically like, we were so busy playing head games on each other that we missed (laughs) that President Coyne was playing head games on both of us. Yeah, yeah. And that aligns with Katniss's previous, you know, assessment of President Coyne as someone Mm -hmm. playing games. Um, So Katniss is all kind of pissed about that. 
And then we get a meeting. President Coin's like a bad penny, isn't she? Ooh. Uh, is there? Hmm. It's President Coin. She's a real, it's a, wait, no, no, no. Do more things, but then I have another good joke. President Coin offers none of these capital people quarter. No, mine, mine's better. Keep going. Okay, do I'll just keep, keep describing going. the plot. Um, President Coin then proposes. She gathers all the victors together, and the the remaining surviving victors of the Hunger Games. And she's like, "Hey, listen, everybody, cool idea. What do you think about this? One more Hunger Games. I'm just gonna put all the capital kids in the Hunger Games." Yeah, I mean, we everybody in the districts is super mad. We gotta. I mean, the only way to to make them less mad without. Killing a bunch of people is to kill a few people <laughs> in another in another new Hunger Games, Hunger Games Two, and like the group kind of goes like they split the vote. Well, and she's like, okay, you the Hunger Games victors who are who are uniquely situated to hate and understand the horrible, horrible system of oppression that the Hunger Games were for years and years and years. You, you, you know, you decide. Majority vote. And, and I'll, I'll tell people how you voted. She's the, a couple of, well, no, she specifically says, I won't tell people how you voted. Uh, but she, well, she's, she's like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to reveal the ballots, but I am going to say this came from the victors of the Hunger yes. Games. Sure, 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 sure. There, there's a lot of public accountability when any character is dealing with coin and when coin is dealing with any character. Well, and, and the, the blind ballot thing does not seem like no. it would be a huge amount of pr- protection because there are literally seven. Of them. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, and then they decide to do it, including Katniss and Katniss who is like, yeah, for, I decide yes for prim. And this, this Did- passage sucks. So I have a theory me, about this passage. Made, I have a theory so about upset. it. Okay, well let me let me read it first, and then you can tell me the theory about it. I just gotta look it up in my my notes because I I but see what is, you mean about it being out of character. She she says I weigh my options carefully, think everything oh. through, keeping my eyes on the rose. I say I vote yes for Prim. Now, I mean, I would have liked to. We're in her head already. Maybe you could tell us the options that she's weighing carefully and the everything that she's thinking through in a little more detail than that. Yes. Okay. Because you're getting, I mean, her, her entire life has been set on the path that it's currently on because she volunteered to protect her sister from the capricious awfulness that is the Hunger Games. Yes. And but but because her sister died for another reason, she's decided. Okay, well, it's cool if we subject other innocent kids to this because I had to watch my sister die. Okay, that that sucks. Here's my theory, and I and I think it sucks for a different reason. My theory is so. What does happen is, um, they they have this public demonstration. Where it is understanding that Katniss is going to shoot President Snow with her yeah, arrow. Katniss as Mockingjay. Yes, and Coin is there, and there's this big dramatic moment where instead of shooting Snow, she shoots Coin with the arrow. Katniss killed President Coin. That's a real quarter quell. So I think <laughs> that in the passage you just read, Collins has like just kind of like misfired in an attempt 
to um, like create an ambiguous passage where you could read Katniss as voting for the Hunger Games or saying yes to the Hunger Games so that coin thinks she's on her side so that coin will be vulnerable so that she can shoot her i do i I understand that i'm doing work that the novel is not doing in my assumption here but i think that to be more consistent with who katniss is katniss thinks that coin was involved with what killed prim and katniss would want to kill coin and i i don't think that katniss would kill coin for like larger revolutionary reasons she would only do it because prim got killed I I actually I think that you are probably right, and and this is backed up by uh, the the very next paragraph where Haymitch is the deciding vote, yes or no, on more Hunger Games. Um, a furious Peta hammers Haymitch with the atrocity he would become party to, but I can feel Haymitch watching me. This is the moment when we find out exactly just how alike we are and how much he truly understands me. This is a callback to the first book where. Hamish as the mentor to Katniss and Peeta during the Hunger Games is sending Katniss like subtle signals to of how to behave. Yeah. yeah, yeah, of, yeah. of how to behave and like giving her giving her rewards when she acts strategically in like creating this Katniss Peeta. Yeah. Love triangle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, and, and so because it has not really come up at all, this book, in fact, Katniss and Hamish have spent a, big bunch of this book just arguing with and hating each other just like Katniss <laughs> and every other character has um th- this is a yeah this is a thematic callback to that to that book where he is trying where, where Katniss is trying to make sure that Haymitch and she are as on the same wavelength as she has always understood them I will be. say like I think I'm with you though in that like when I first read that passage I thought that she was agreeing and I, well, I did and, not, and, I did not take the, delight in the, solving it. Having the four prim thing in there completely muddies these waters. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because yeah, yeah. what, like, why would I don't know? Why would that have any bearing on anything? I think it's if a, this is the decision. I she think was it is to. a messy delivery of a not bad idea <laughs> on Collins's part. I like, I get the misdirection she's trying to send us through, and I, I just feel like she kind of like made soft contact with the pitch rather than hitting a home run. I guess this, this comes back to perspective again. Like clearly Collins is trying to keep the book surprising for us yes. as a reader, but it means shutting us out of the only POV that we're heck yeah. allowed to yes, be inside yeah. mm-hmm. to create suspense. Yeah. Um, so then, yeah, we get, kind and, so, of and, a- and if you see, if you see the same chapter, happening through Peta's eyes. I actually think it's it's way more interesting and suspenseful. To not know what's happening over there and to think yeah. he knows who Katniss is and make assumptions about her. Yes. Ooh. I don't love when we get into full, like, let's rewrite a book mode because I, I understand that that can come off weird, but it is frustrating to, like, really like what a book is up to in some spots and have it just make the other choice in how it attempts to deliver that idea. Yeah, I'm more comfortable getting into it when it's when it is a a huge like yeah, yeah, yeah of a yeah. book that has been discussed like a million other other ways. That's and a good so point. So the the value of our perspective is is our yeah. perspective, I guess. <laughs> so I'm more comfortable being more heavy handed with it because sure, that's why sure, sure, that's sure. what people are here for, you know. Hey, that and let's the wrap this. Let's wrap this story up. So 
the Katniss is exonerated basically by a doctor who said like she had problems, yeah, uh, like an insanity defense basically. And they, it there's like a rough understanding that maybe some sort of democracy will happen. It's not very clear because this book doesn't really have those types of politics. And um, she decides to be with Peta because. What, here's the quote. On the night, I feel that thing again, the hunger that overtook me on the beach. I know this would have happened anyway. That's what I need to survive. Is not That what I need to survive is not Gale's fire kindled with rage and hatred. I have plenty of fire myself. What I need is the dandelion in the spring, the bright yellow that means rebirth instead of destruction, the promise that life can go on no matter how bad our losses, that it can be good again, and only PETA can give me that. And so she chooses PETA. And it's that's like the end of the book. There's an epilogue where they have kids. Yeah, it it ends with that real or not real question, which I yeah. Feel can like we talk about that real quick? This book. Um, you said you really a, liked it. it. I did. It's so it's a it is a tool that people around Peta are using to try and bring him back to the real world and like separate the memories that he himself made from the ones that like the tracker jacker venom gave him yeah and so he you know is is habitually asking people like he, he is making a statement and then Says, a, about yes. a memory that he has or like an understanding that he has about something and then asking real or not real and this is how he sort of works his way through his feelings about Katniss and his memories of Katniss because they do have like there are a few things that have passed between them that were not documented anywhere and so could not be tampered with by yeah, Snow or the Capitol yeah. and so those are the sort of toeholds that Peta and Katniss start to to grab at to come back into each other's orbit I guess and what I like about it as a device is when it's first introduced, they they start it on some high stakes questions, but then they also there's like a kind of a mini montage of them using it on lower stakes questions. So then when it comes up in really emotionally intense scenes, it has extra weight because you know that PETA has been using this framework on like his entire life. Yeah, um, like ev- everything from was it my fault the District 12 was burned to the ground to like my favorite color is light orange. Or yeah, whatever. it's stuff like that. And and I think that is, yeah, I'm glad you wanted to talk about that because it is one of the things that stands out as a, like, a character has a thing and a way to approach the world and, like, <laughs> makes them memorable. Um, and she is she is really hit or miss on that at times. And especially it's, it's, a, it's a flaw in Katniss's POV. Yeah, and I think if you're doing a, a 2020 version of The Hunger Games rather than a 2010 version, you're probably hitting the what is what is truth and yes. what is like true yeah. who gets to define what truth is and what is truth's relationship to power like that that is the main thematic thing you are you are bringing instead of this sort of this this forever war and this like political and social upheaval that you're that you get that's that's ushered in by like war on terror the the forces that led to the arab spring like the recession like all that stuff that was happening in the late aughts into the early 10s that clearly sort of gave birth to i'm glad you framed it as like if you were writing this book now because the other thing and this was a a takeaway that i got hints of in this read of like generational violence and the 
because the book is very apolitical in terms of what power means, it it kind of defaults to like older people telling kids what to do and uh-huh. older people dictating what the world will be to the next generation. And that is a lot of what is happening right now in a bunch of different political movements. It's certainly the crux of any sort of climate change fight. Um, And I I think if you were writing this 10 years hence, you would probably want to grapple with that a little bit more explicitly than the book does. Um, Even though it is about, you know, it's about a bunch of games where they make the kids fight. um, I think the, the generational violence popped to me as a reader in 2020 in a way that I don't know if it necessarily would have 10 years ago, 15 sure. years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's that's the book. I think we hit on everything that we wanted to talk about. We kind of made a supersized episode here, which we didn't plan on, but I knew might happen. Whoops. Because because it's the we got to talk about this book, and then we also have to sum up our feelings on the series, which always takes up a bunch of time. Yeah, it does. I'm glad we read them, though. Like, I feel like it is, again, I'm interested in these books and their space in pop culture almost way more than I am interested in what is actually in the books. Well, so I th- this is one reason why I've mentioned reading the the sequel prequel a couple yeah, of times. Yeah, sure, because sure. I, because if I mention it on air, it just kind of becomes real by default. <laughs> real <laughs> or not we have real, sh- we are Because we have a show to book. program. Um. <laughs> But I I want to know what a, a a like devil's advocate let's see it through the bad guys eyes sequel to books that were already sort of born to the like grim dark gritty reboot uh morally ambiguous like Batman Dark Knight <laughs> era of pop yeah, culture like sure. how how do you do the anti-hero version of a thing that is already very much like of the like anti-hero phase of, of pop culture. Not, not saying that the books are centered on an anti-hero, but they are interested in um, like hard questions and unanswerable questions yeah, in a sure. way that like anti-hero fiction often is. Well, and I would be interested for us to talk about that book through similar to how you read The Testaments by Atwood, which is like the gap between Handmaid's Tale and The Testaments is much wider in terms of, and you know, just many more years. But I think revisiting a very popular series and world in a, in a very like particular political moment is going to be an interesting read. So yeah, I, I'm I wonder if we can find interesting interviews that that Collins is is done around this around this book because the part of the discussion around the Testaments and the Handmaid's Tale now is like the the TV show and well well and the the gap between how people have responded to and like taken up the iconography and oh, message sure. of the Handmaid's Tale versus what Atwood herself believes the message of it to be does that make sense yeah no that makes that makes a lot more and there's a little less on that i think in terms of the original run of the hunger games so it'd be yeah okay well i guess we're gonna read that book then we'll let you know when we do it yeah Um, it'll be sometime (laughs) uh if you the listener have thoughts on the hunger games writ large or small please send them to us 
at overduepod at gmail.com. You did miss the opportunity to send us an email that we would talk about on air. Only um, only Rebecca took care of that. So, sorry, guys. Um, you can send those overduepod at gmail.com, like I said. Hit us up on social media, twitter.com slash overduepod or facebook.com slash overduepod. Thanks to Ben, Sherry, Yeti, Francisca, Krista, Tasha, Joe, Joshua, Liana, John, Nicole, and many more for making us smile throughout the week by hitting us up on Twitter and Facebook. Andrew, if folks want to know more about the show, where should they go? Over to podcast.com is our internet website. Up there we have links to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and our RSS feed. We're also on Stitcher and Spotify. And anywhere you get podcasts, uh, join up and get the new ones every Monday. You'll be glad you did. Uh, we also have a new listener page where we list episodes that we are happy with. Usually people just kind of <laughs> listen to the books that they know those are uh, ones that we think are good entry points if you haven't even if you haven't heard of the book yeah there you go uh that's that's good what are we doing next week we are discussing the hour of the star by clarice Lispector. i also need to tell you that our theme song is by nick larangis shout out to nick and that's it the games are done i'm not For hungry now. anymore or are they i'm full i'm full up all right well that's what we got i don't i don't have puns for the other coins i've been thinking this whole time Uh uh-huh about what the good puns for the other coins would be but i don't got any so i'll keep thinking about those we'll come back to it next week until we talk to you then everyone please try to be happy That was a HeadGum Podcast.